Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Well, First Gen family, you hear me talk about it. I don't know, pretty much every episode here, the last few episodes. We are in the twilight hours, the last little bit of hunting season here in most states across the nation. And uh, you're probably in one of two camps right now. Either you're relieved because you uh, hunted so hard this fall and you need that break. Your family needs you to take that break. Uh, Maybe uh, you uh, are just ready to sleep in a little bit longer. Or you're probably in the other camp where you're dreading the end. It's your favorite time of the year. You managed your priorities right. You had some success, but maybe you aren't just you aren't quite satisfied yet, and uh, you want to get out just a few more times. Well, if that's you, you only have a few options left. Maybe you're like Brandon, and maybe you do have a few uh, last remaining days of deer season left. Or maybe you're like most everybody else and you're down to small game or uh, maybe some waterfowl. Or if you're here in the great state of Iowa, you get to do a little quail hunting. Uh, Just a couple days left after this episode drops, you'll have that option. And so that's why I brought Mr. Heath Rayfield on, a guy who guides quail hunts for a job, to come on and tell us how to be more effective with hunting quail and a lot of that comes from just understanding the animal some of it comes from uh knowing where to look for them where how to where to hunt them how to hunt them and uh you know what we can expect from from these birds so we brought heath on hopefully it will uh if you're one of those people who has some quail hunting hopes and dreams here before uh this hunting season closes out We're hoping this episode ends up being super helpful to you. So sit back, relax, and start daydreaming about your potential quail plans for either this season or the coming season as you tune into episode 39 of the First Gen Hunter podcast, a quail hunting interview with Mr. Heath Rayfield. Well, I have a kind of a personal confession to make, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm and here, it has I'm here to, for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to do with tonight's subject matter. Mm. Um, I am a sucker for clickbait uh, like like music videos. So mm. I'm not I'm not talking like, you know, some done up production or something you know i'm talking like this everyone laughed at this man until they heard his voice it's like i want to hear his voice and yeah 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Or like some like yeah. a street performer that's just like draw jaw droppingly talented. And yeah, right. and I just get stuck in these loops of like watching those videos from time to time. I mean, it's not like every day or anything, but you know, I yeah, come across yeah, yeah. one of those and and I I just I I really enjoy it. But the yeah. the way that relates to this episode is I am finding that I am becoming a sucker for another type of video that I find on the internet from time to time. And that is when somebody posts a video of a Covey rise. When, mm. I, when I see a quail Covey flush all at once, it just like, man, I get like a little adrenaline rush. I got to be honest. And, oh, yeah, for sure. And, you, you know, I, I've already told you I've had a little experience uh, quail hunting this year and just a taste of it really. And man, I am, I'm falling hard for quail hunting. And, uh, after talking with tonight's guest, I'm, I can't wait for next year. And oh, I really, yeah. I really want to get somewhere where, you know, I always got some, some birds around some quail, but, mm-hmm. um, we're having a pretty tough winter so far this year, as far as, uh, temps, the temps have been fairly mild, but we've got a lot of snow and a lot of ice. And uh, I'm a little worried that our, you know, bumper year for mm-hmm. uh, pheasants and quail, uh, as Todd Bogenschutz had told us, it was going to be, probably, well, the pheasant counts for the roadside survey were the highest they'd been since 2007. And uh, I think it's just a good reminder of when you have those years, take advantage and enjoy it because you just don't know what the next year is going to hold and look where yeah, we're at. We're right. already, already got all the snow on the ground and and everything else so there's probably just it's going to be very unlikely that that um those bird numbers will be what they were so i may have to may have to go south or something maybe go down to kansas or something like that of course then i'll be tempted to get a buck tag or do a little shed hunting or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah right but uh no, it it is uh it is something that uh I'm I'm really getting excited about. So that's where that's where we ended up tonight. But before we get into that, before we get to that interview, we need to do a little update as far as things that have been happening in the woods in uh the world of first gen hunter and uh hunt fish life. And so yes. because I am just itching to tell you this story. Oh, I'm excited. I'm gonna go first. Then I'm going to let you go, and then we'll hear from Mr. Heath Rayfield here. But um, I have been trying to get into a little bit more small game hunting. And kind of like with quail hunting, uh, I'm finding that I really enjoy small game hunting. Um, Mm. I got out and did a little uh, uh, rabbit hunting on snowshoes uh, a little over a week ago. I um, got out and did a little squirrel hunting with Jonas and uh then just uh last week f- Friday after work I got out and uh did a little squirrel hunting with my good buddy Lucas Fritch and um we uh only bagged one squirrel but it was really cool um he let me use his uh 410 shotgun I have I have shot a lot of like really cool guns in my life. Yeah. I don't own, yeah. I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big gun owner. Uh, but, uh, I, I got a lot of friends who, who have, have some really cool guns. And, um, you know, I've, I've shot, uh, 
Golden Eagle 50 cal handgun. I've shot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the old Smith and Wesson 500. You know, some of these just really cool hand cannon type guns. But I have yeah. never shot a 410 shotgun for some reason. Oh, just, such just, a fun gun. Oh man! And so yeah, my buddy let me use his 410, and uh, that was the first time I shot a 410, and uh, missed my first shot. But uh, my mm-hmm. second shot. I uh, bagged my first ever squirrel. Believe it or not, I have never, nice. I have never shot a squirrel, and that was uh, that changed uh, just on on Friday. Bagged my first squirrel. Yeah, nice that's big a old congrats, man. Yeah, that's, that's thank really you, awesome. yeah. thank you. It was it was uh, a lot of fun, and um, you know, uh, it, my my buddy, he's shot some squirrels before when he was younger, but uh, I think he kind of, you know fell back in love with doing a little small game hunting too so it yeah. was it was really cool though we did quite a bit of walking around in the snow and just having a good time and uh you know just getting down to like the last half hour of legal shooting light so mm-hmm. we're starting to make our way back towards his house and um we see a squirrel and uh so he doesn't have one yet so he goes charging off with the 410 and yeah. uh um i'm like all right you know i'm gonna kind of walk through this brush over here and uh gonna see if i can you know because we saw a squirrel get on the ground you know i was wondering well maybe it's still on the ground maybe i can kind of you know yeah flush it out to a tree closer Mm -hmm. to him or something Mm -hmm. and so i'm working my way through all these thorns and everything and then i spot this pretty fresh deer carcass which yeah I've done enough shed hunting, and I've said it before. I, I think I've even uh, – I, I actually uh, have an article coming out, uh, uh, let's see, later next month, about probably around the 10th of February, um, with the Iowa Sportsman's Magazine. I wrote an article on shed hunting for that, and in that article I, I uh, threw in my statement, I like to always say, where I usually find about five deer carcasses for every – one antler that i come across Mm. i mean Mm -hmm. it it seems it seems extreme it seems kind of ridiculous and every year i doubt myself on that number and then i reconfirm it well well this year i'm ahead of the curve because i find this deer carcass and i'm like oh you know here's my first dead doe of the year because i didn't see any antlers Mm -hmm. on it or anything Mm -hmm. well then i took like a closer look at it and i noticed this big red spot and instantly you know i knew what that was that yep. is a shed buck. There's that's mm-hmm. his bloody mm-hmm. pedicle. He must have shed, you know, <laughs> pretty much right close to the the point of death, because yeah. that you know that that blood was was so fresh there on the on the pedicles, bright red. And uh, you know, of course, I'm calling my buddy over. I'm like, hey, there's you know, there's dead buck over here. Did anybody shoot a dead buck and you know throw the carcass over here after they deboned it or whatever? And yeah. He's like, no, that's I don't know. That's weird. And so he, of course, now he's interested. So he comes hauling over, and um, and and I'm like, man, this is just this is really interesting. I was like, yeah, these sheds are out here, man. We got to find these sheds. And and uh, he was being nice and everything, but I could tell he's like, man, those sheds could be anywhere <laughs> and, yeah and i okay. to be honest with you i was thinking the same thing i was like it's could be these sheds could be anywhere within you know at least probably a quarter mile radius mm-hmm. and i'm like well we got to keep an eye out for these sheds maybe we can cut his track or whatever you know and 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 see where he came from 
And, yeah. you know, I'm saying all this. And he, he like, turns around to kind of walk out of there, out of this little thicket that we're in. And he's like, oh, here they are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And How they cool were, was that? Oh, man. Five yards from where I found that carcass. I couldn't see the sheds from where I was. And yeah. so I had to, you know, I kind of had to climb out of the thorns there and everything, get over to where he was. But yeah. sure enough, there were both sides laying on wow. top of each other. Five yards was buried in the ice. They were under the ice. So we had to dig them out. Yeah. Just big, beautiful sheds. Um, wow. I don't know what he would score at. I'm not very good at scoring sheds. Mm. I, I, I'm mm. decent at, you know, I spot a buck, a buck with the antler still on his head and, I don't know yeah. what it is, but maybe it's just the context of it. But when it comes to sheds, I couldn't, I just, I, I don't get that visual picture in my head. So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, the, he was a mature buck. I'm going to guess he's yeah. at least four and a half years old. There's a lot of mass on the antlers. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a, a good sized body just from what was left of it. You could tell he was good sized deer. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a match set. So that was, that was really wow. cool. And, uh, you know, usually you hear guys who are like, got to keep the match sets together or they, um, uh, if one buddy finds, uh, a side and then the other buddy finds the match later, some people say you got to give the match set then to the guy who found the first side or whatever. Uh, but man, there was no better way than to split the antlers between us. Um, He was, he wanted me to take him because I had spotted the buck and had had the theory that, that, uh, you know, those antlers could be close by. And, and, uh, he, he, uh, was like, man, I would have never even thought to look for those if, if you hadn't said anything. So he thought, he thought I should get him. And it's like, no way you, you spotted the antlers. And, and, uh, so we, uh, we agreed that it was, it was best if we each took a side and then, you know, like, uh, you know, like what you do with your, your, uh, your uh, best friend in grade school or whatever, you know, you make some, yeah. kind of, you make some kind of pact. Right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, our pact is, uh, whoever outlives the other person, they get the match set. So a little bit extra motivation for that longevity, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, man, wow, it's, man. uh, a it's, a, yeah. I mean, it's that's, a, that's, that's, that's part of the, part of the cool thing about oh, being in the outdoors. Man, you yeah. never know what you're going to, find you know here we are late season and there's always something exciting to be to be had so that's pretty awesome you came across that and on top of that your first squirrel i mean man that's that's, that's awesome right. that's right it was you know it'll be tough to top it'll be tough to top that night this uh this uh 2021 all things outdoors to come although i i, I really hope to have many other great moments it was just it was a it was a just a special moment how it all came together you know it would have been yeah it, honestly it wouldn't have been as I don't think it would have been as uh, cool if I would have spotted the sheds myself, just because then it would have you know been like this totally one-sided thing where you know yes. I, I found I found the buck, I found the sheds. You know, it's mm. it, I think it's more fun that we both had a hand in it and you know really truly shared that that uh, yeah. re- that really incredible uh, find you know, together. So yes. I um I'm I'm really happy with, with how that yeah. that all worked out and everything. It's the biggest shed I well, got. Sounds now. like you're 
You're you, you're having a, a, just a great finish to the uh, the season, and kind of what a what an exciting way to kind of first month of the new year, and some some cool stuff going on for you. That's right. And to all of you who tuned into episode thirty eight to hear about how to find sheds, I'm telling you. I got super lucky on that one. <laughs> I yeah, can't, man, I can't, that's awesome. I can't take too much credit there, but I do have a shed uh, on the. Yes. Uh, I'm on the board for 2021, and yeah, right. Our buddy Cole Young, who we brought on the show, he found a match set the day after I found those with my buddy Fritch, and nice. so uh, you know, if you listened into episode 38, you came to the right place. We're finding sheds already, people. <laughs> Right, yeah, no kidding. But, uh, yeah, he found a nice match set when he was out checking trail cameras with his son, so that was pretty cool to see that for him. But what about you, Brandon? Season uh, finally wound down there in the good old state of Delaware? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's we've got one of the longest seasons around, and uh, it's you know finally coming to an end here in the next week. And uh, you know, just this past uh, week, had a chance to take out um, three guys, um, which was really cool. Um, one of the guys was uh, one of the the gentlemen that I've been mentoring um, this year, and he just got his license, was able to take him out, and he actually had an opportunity to uh, take a few deer, but he decided to pass, um, and it was, which was actually kind of cool, you know. Yeah. Decided to do that um his very first experience and in, in having a chance to, to take a deer and it wasn't quite um big enough for what he really wanted so i mean it's pretty cool that he made that decision and had a great time out there and so that was great and i was able to take a, a neighbor out um had a great time of fellowship and try to get him out you know once or twice a year with me and then um was able to take another the other gentleman that i'm mentoring this year and uh, we were able to get a, a a nice deer for the freezer uh and actually were able to uh give it to another friend who was with us on the hunt um, who was looking for some deer meat. So we were able to share that with him. And, um, so just a good way to finish out the, uh, the, the season, I, you know, probably finish for me. I'm going to might, might try to do a little date, date night hunt on Saturday or something. My, my wife sitting next to me, she's, she's wondering what that's about, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it doesn't involve but, any, uh, uh, fish flying out of the water right at her, right? No, no. Well, I, I was just looking <laughs> I, I, so, so, so I, I was, I was looking at the weather. We've got a system coming in on Sunday and I thought, man, it'd be kind of cool to, to get the babysitter to come over for a couple hours to go out with my wife for just an hour or two, but that's not guaranteed. I'm not saying anything. That's, that's definitely going to happen, but that is the last day of the season. So it would be a cool way to finish the season out. Got a, got a, got a, got a nice, nice uh, front coming in um, Saturday night, some snow uh, Sunday and Monday. Um, and so, you know, Saturday night might be a good time to get out for an hour. So we'll see. But, uh, but no, I've been, I've been very pleased with the season and chance to mentor some guys and, and just have great fellowship. We had, you know, kind of our, our close knit group of guys, um, got together, you know, we've got a, you know, probably most, most guys, most groups, you know, they get together, they probably have that spot that, you know, that restaurant or that spot they get together at. And, uh, and we have that and it's just a down home place and, and nowhere Delaware. And, and, um, you know, we, we actually spent three and a half hours there on, uh, on Saturday, actually, Um, just, you know, just enjoying fellowship and, 
every time we were about to get up because they needed a table, another table got cleared. So we just, we were hanging out. It was, it was one of those days too, where the wind was just, I mean, it was cold and the wind was just howling. And so we were like, you know, we're going to, we're going to enjoy a little bit longer in here and just <laughs> the fellowship, you know, telling stories and just laughing and having a good time. And so that was just awesome too. So I mean, we really enjoyed, have enjoyed a lot of fellowship this year and, um, was cool to just finish, you know, kind of that time with the, with the group, with, with getting a deer and celebrating that together. So just some good, some good things, man. So hopefully we'll have a, a good finish, um, to this coming week. We actually even did, did a little, um, dove hunting on Saturday morning after the, uh, the deer hunt and had a little success with that. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, so just kind of cool. nice. Like you said, you know, you, you did, you know, what did some squirrel hunting, you know, it's nice to, uh, you know, changed up a little bit, do some of those other types of hunts. So it's kind of been nice to, to enjoy these last few days. And, you know, we're looking for that, looking forward to that break for February and March, but you never know. Maybe we'll, we'll finish this last weekend out with a bang. You never know. It is, it is actually muzzleloader, um, here in Delaware for this last week. So it's a uh, one final week of muzzleloader and then that will finish out our season. Actually, I, I should say that, um, a small game or rabbit and squirrel season actually goes, um, until February 15th and then snow goose season goes until March 15th. So for those hunters who do w- want to do a little bit of small game or a little bit of goose hunting, uh, they still actually have, uh, a little while yet for that even. So we, right. we, we are blessed with very, very long seasons here in Delaware. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, uh, make sure, you know, when you get out there with your muzzle over this time, you don't dump a whole bottle of uh, scent <laughs> killer on there and uh, maybe right, yeah. maybe ditch those uh, Pyrodex pellets and get yourself some yes. uh, loose yes, powder. I think so. Yes. You know, get the... Get the uh, <laughs> <laughs> get, make sure we you don't, don't have any, any of those del- those depth charges yeah. that you uh, yeah we don't so. we don't need uh, we don't need the old uh, like the delay shots like they probably had in the Civil War you <laughs> yeah, know that's right. <laughs> oh man yeah uh, for sure it's been fun though man it's been a lot of fun yeah you know it's it's hard to believe that we're already at this point in the year but as Brandon yeah. said there are a few few trace you know trace what's the what's what's the term I'm looking for here. Like some, 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 some trace remnants, maybe some Mm -hmm. of the hunting season left, just, Mm -hmm. just a little tiny bit left. And, uh, that brings us to our topic tonight. Uh, we went out and got a guy to talk quail. This episode will drop in just a couple days here. And, um, uh, there's just a few days of quail hunting left here in Iowa. And, uh, I thought it would be useful to everyone to, uh, be able to uh, uh, talk a little, talk a little quail hunting, and uh, maybe give somebody an opportunity to take advantage of that. Not just in Iowa, of course, but um, in in uh, uh, other places around the country. And so, we brought in Heath Rayfield from uh, uh, Buck Ventures, the Woodsman, a good buddy of our our friend uh, Noel Gandy, and. Uh, uh, just a phenomenal conversation Brandon and I had with him. And so I'm confident mm-hmm. not only it will be helpful to you, but it'll just be enjoyable for you to hear from a uh, true hunting expert. I mean, man, what a, yep. what a skilled guy in the woods uh, Heath is. And uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So uh, we'll have a uh, tip of the day and uh, uh, we'll have our, uh, 
a little commercial for East to West Hunts. Make sure, by the way, uh, I guess I'm giving a commercial for the commercial right now. Take that take that <laughs> into consideration. I mean, there's some, some major due dates coming up here soon if you're wanting to hunt in a new place. Uh, we're going to bring Alex back on, you know, every three-ish, you know, two and a half to kind of that range of two and a half to four months or so we'll bring him on the show just to give us an update about what's coming up that you need to be aware of and and truly that is a, a to be a service to uh to you as somebody who may have some uh out of state hunting dreams so take him up yep. on on his offer there for that discount and uh then we'll uh get into our interview with mr heath rayfield on quail hunting tactics so thank you everyone for tuning in we'll get let's get on to the main part of the show All right, First Geners, listen up for a minute. New year, new opportunities, right? Should be. I'm speaking to myself here as well. Hunting is filled with many great traditions that we can enjoy year in and year out, but sometimes it's good to branch out. One of those ways to branch out is through trying something new. And by that, I mean it's good to look at hunting somewhere new. The interviews on out-of-state tag applications with our friend Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts have been quite popular, which tells me that people are looking hard at hunting some new country. Well, just to give you that little extra nudge to start making plans to complete your dream hunt, Alex is offering a 10% discount off of his tag application and hunt planning services for first-gen hunter podcast listeners. All you got to do is head to his website, alexgruen.com, choose the service you need, and check out with the promo code FIRSTGEN10. All one word, capital F, I-R-S-T, capital G-E-N, the number 10. And again, you can find Alex and order his services at alexgruen.com. A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N dot com. And don't forget to use the promo code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout to save 10% and to get going on that bucket list hunt you've been dreaming of. Well, folks... Tonight, we are honored to have a special guest on the show. Mr. Heath Rayfield of The Woodsman is with us. Sound familiar? It should, because if you've been listening to the show since episode 13, and if you've heard the First Gen Hunter Christmas special, our good buddy, Noel Gandy, who is also from The Woodsman, Buck Ventures, The Woodsman, he told us about Heath. And uh, he pretty much described him as a uh, cold-blooded killer, which in any other context, of course, would be frightening and disturbing. But when it comes to hunting, I don't think there's a better badge of honor, would you say, Brandon? I absolutely agree, 100%. (laughs) 
<laughs> In fact, that's, you know, that's that's my goal. When, by the time I, you know, I'm getting too old to climb up a, a tree stand. I'm, as we talked with uh, Cole Young in the last episode, I'm almost getting too old to do the hang on hunt thing anymore. But you know, I hope Brandon, you know, like his last, may, maybe uh, the final episode of First Gen Hunter way down the road, Brandon will be like, you know what, Kent, you finally made it. You developed into a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but Heath is already there, and the fact that a yes. guy like Noel, who knows how to kill some really quality deer, would say that we know that we are in the presence of greatness here. So yes, Heath, thank you so much for coming on to uh, hang out with us tonight. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's it. You know, I remember after uh uh. Noel said that your name just kind of stuck in my head and we connected on Instagram a little bit. And so I've been following you a little while and I'm like, you know, I need to get this Heath Rayfield guy here on the show. And then the other day I've, I've been trying to find somebody for quail hunting because there are just a few, I mean, when this episode drops, which will be Thursday, uh, there will be just a handful of days left of quail season here in Iowa. And I imagine it's kind of the same thing in, in other states too. I think in Illinois it's already wrapped up, but you know, maybe Kansas or Texas or even farther South yet, uh, they may still have, uh, uh, some, some quail season left. So I thought it'd be timely in that sense. But as I was scrolling through Instagram, I see Heath, uh, just light up this covey of quail i mean he's got his dogs they're they're at perfect point and then you see the covey rise come up and boom he knocked like two or three of them just right away and it's like there's the guy we need to talk to <laughs> and then i saw another one of those posts and i'm like all right all right this is a sign i got it and uh i got i got in contact with heath shortly thereafter so we're really happy to have you tonight yeah uh glad to be here glad to be here yeah, for sure. Well, Heath, uh, as we were talking before the show, your hunting background is very different from my own. Um, from a hunting culture standpoint, from a length of experience standpoint, um, I think you and Brandon would probably find some, uh, you know, common ground because Brandon's got that East Coast uh, hunting culture that you know, include some of the same things like hunting clubs and so forth. But, um, mm -hmm. man, you are a guy who has spent his life hunting the Carolinas. Can you kind of fill us in just what your your experience has been down there in, in uh, South and North Carolina, really? Yes, sir. Um, you know, like you said, I, I have literally, when I say I grew up hunting, I grew up hunting. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, my daddy... My daddy was a big bird hunter. My uncles were big bird hunters. Um, so, of course, I grew up bird hunting and sure. uh, was able to uh, go with my father a lot whenever I, you know, he could take me. And, uh, you know, I, I can remember some of the early days. I wasn't old enough to take a gun, and he would literally have me on his shoulders, you know, for an afternoon. It wouldn't be one of the all-day Saturday hunts, but... Uh, he would carry me for afternoon and carry me on his shoulders and the dogs would point and my job was to watch where the singles went, you know, so I was, he would just tell me where the singles went so we could go hunt some singles. But, yeah. um, then, you know, of course all that, I guess at around the age of 
12 or so, you know, my daddy was in a hunting club uh, that mm-hmm. him and my uncles started. And we are still, me, my daddy, and my uncle, we still have that ground. Oh, cool. I, can re- I can remember when it was all bean fields. And mm. now big mature pine trees that uh have been harvested one time and you know thinned mm. out a little bit but you know we i still hunt on that ground i've killed my first deer on that ground uh quail hunted all over that ground you know i basically grew up right there on it and it you know the great thing about it is not only did we lease that ground and had that little hunting club but my my granddaddy's farm which i own now me and my wife bought it a couple of years ago uh borders up to that nice and, that's really uh, cool you know just really good but um you know I started deer hunting probably at 12 uh, yeah i guess i was 11 12 years old when i started deer hunting and uh you know i mean yeah i've just i've been in it all my life and i've just i've enjoyed the outdoors and it's always even at that you know at that age you don't know what you want to do in life mm-hmm. but i knew I, I always sat back and it's still coming full circle at 42 years old right now um mm-hmm. you know i've always said that I, I wanted to do something in the outdoors yeah yeah and, uh, and 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 i've been blessed you know i work some jobs i process deer you know i run a deer processing business to help the guy when i was 12 and then i ended up getting my own and, and doing it myself and um you know, um, whenever, uh, worked some other jobs and I guess it was probably 2000 and 2004, Jason Kiker, which is the owner of Buchanan shows called me and he's also in the timber business. And a friend of my daddy's knew Jason and said they were starting up this hunting preserve. And, mm. uh, they called me and wanted to know if I'd be, you know, wanted to manage it. Hmm. And nice. of course, I, <laughs> I jumped at that. Yeah, for sure. Man, what so, a cool opportunity! It's been great, man, and I've been there ever since. Pretty much, I did leave for a little period of time and and done a lot of traveling and filming and you know and all. But I, even when I was at home, I still helped them guide and, and you know, I got mm-hmm. it for a couple of too. But I guess I, I've been guiding for eighteen plus years. Wow. That's awesome. You you know, you mentioned that a little bit traveling around and filming that made me, that reminded me of something that Noel told me when he was, uh, when he was uh, telling us about you, he said something about an episode of monster bucks. Hmm. He did. And (laughs) and, and I guess that's one reason I said full circle is, you know, in the early days you would go by the big, cassette tapes of monster bucks right and you know yeah. i'm a little yeah. around in the house watching monster bucks and watching bill jordan and david blank oh, yeah. and them boys kill mm-hmm. deer on monster bucks and i can remember running by my daddy saying i'm gonna do that one day daddy i'm gonna do that one day and this year i got the phone call that i had made monster bucks oh man nice. that is so cool that's amazing yeah, it was uh it was a very honored moment. It mm-hmm. was a very humbling moment. 
And still, when I think about it today and or watch the episode on there, you know, I want to reach over and kind of pinch myself. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. You yeah. Know? So with anybody, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. I guess you set your goals, always set them high and, and don't ever give up on them. That's right. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's good advice. And, you know, I've also found, uh, not, you know, you, you can't always guarantee success, but a lot of times good things come to good people. And so, uh, you know, the fact that you're rubbing shoulders with Noel and, and become good, such good friends with him, we, we feel, you know, we were very confident with asking you to come on the show and, and, uh, well, you know, I briefed it. Yeah, we we are we are really happy to have you tonight, and and man, we're I'm already I'm already uh, dreaming about the future episodes. We haven't even gotten into this one yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but <right>. there's there's uh, we're we're definitely gonna have to bring you back on to talk some deer hunting. And Noel said that uh, as far as turkey hunting goes, you're that's kind of your your. Uh, <laughs> ace in the hole i do love to chase the turkey yeah yeah well i need some help there because i just started turkey hunting this year and uh i was uh i could have been i could have been on like a uh, hunting infomercial you know where you see some guy like uh uh, wandering around, you know, with like a, you know, this goofy music playing in the background or whatever. And <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was something that could have used some guidance. That's for sure. So we'll have to bring you back on when we get closer to turkey season too. Yes, sir. But tonight, quail is the topic, and uh, you know, I think now would actually be a good time for you to give kind of a little. Uh, I don't know. We, I guess we could call it a commercial or a little promo for, uh, uh, what you have going on there at Buchanan. Um, but we, we want to, we want to talk about your experience as a quail guide and just as a quail hunter, like you mentioned for pretty much your whole life. And, uh, um, could you kind of fill us in on, on what you have going on down there at Buchanan Shoals and what Buchanan Shoals, you know, is for people when they, when they come to do a hunt there? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, so, you know, Buchanan shows, I've, I've obviously been there for a long time and, and just to give a, a little bit of background on, on quail hunting itself. Yes. Um, you know, obviously I started out at an early age quail hunting. My father had quail hunted all his life, you know, from a kid up. You know, he used to tell me he had his dogs in the barn out there and he'd get off from school, turn the bird dogs out, you know, and go hunt in the afternoon. But, you know, quail mm -hmm. hunting was, that was the big thing. You know, where I live at, back when my daddy was younger, you know, in school, there wasn't no whitetails around here. There was no turkeys around here. You know, so mm -hmm. quail hunting and rabbit hunting was probably the big thing, quail hunting being number one. Sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, we always had bird dogs growing up, so I grew up in it. Well, I guess you could say probably somewhere in those early 90s to mid-90s, the quail population really started taking a hit. Hmm. And mm -hmm. it was where, you know, some afternoons I would come home from school, I'd turn my bird dogs out, and I was very fortunate enough that I lived and grew up at a place where I could walk down there, turn my bird dogs out of the pen, and just walk across the road and, and go hunting, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, and still to the day, you know, I have some of the ground right there around our house. Mm -hmm. But, uh, 
anyway, you know, I could go on an afternoon and I could find two, three, maybe even four coveys of birds oh, wow. in a couple mm-hmm. hours. And, yeah. and it was really, but then it got to where you was lucky if you found one cubby. Yeah. And those coveys had six or eight birds in it. So, you know, we kind of got out of the bird dog business and daddy got some rabbit dogs and we started rabbit hunting. But with all that being said, all the bean fields started turning into pine plantations and, you know, everything just started changing a little bit and mm-hmm. all. So in the Carolinas, and, and, and this is kind of somewhat all over the southeast. Sure. You hear of all the plantation pine quail hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really big in South Georgia and all down that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, once I started working at Buchanan Shoals is 2004, um, you know, very fortunate enough. We had a big track of land. We got almost 6,000 acres that borders wow. the big PD river. And, and it, and it's a really diverse terrain. You know, it's got a lot of upland pine plantations. Mm-hmm. hardwoods you know it's got a really good mix of all so sure. uh we started doing like any other preserve when they start out you know most guys come in and hey they got some quail farmer that raises quail and they want to buy mm-hmm. or 50 or however many birds and we go turn them out and we go hunt them. Sure. yeah well we me along with the guy jason kiker that owns buchanan and at the time, his father uh, was just like, you know, we, we need to do something different. We want it to be like wild bird hunting. Right. What can we do to make this be an experience to where people come here and, it's you know, we can mimic what true wild bird hunting used to be like. You know, great flying birds, big coveys. Um, you know, the right habitat, everything like that. So we started putting our heads together and, um, obviously it took some of his background, some of my background, you know, and all above that to, you know, Jason's in the forestry business too. So, you know, he knew what he needed to do with the trees and, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's a timber, the, the, the people that own the ground, it, it is for timber rights. You know, I mean, they're yeah. growing timber there. So what we did was we went in and, and done a really heavy thinning on the pines. And w- what that allows it to do is all, and, and you know, we've done some, uh, sprayed some herbicides and stuff to kill the hardwood out okay. and, and let that sunlight get to the floor. And mm-hmm. with prescribed burn, which we burn our quail areas every single year, that's probably one of the number one things you can do to have your all the natural grasses come back mm, great tip. so you know and it's easy that is the cheapest and one of the best things you can do in a quail area a turkey area any anything prescribed burning is just all around great for wildlife period yeah um mm. because what it does it burns all that stuff down and then all that new forage comes back and it's right. great for the deer to eat on it helps promote all the grass seeds and everything come back thicker, which in turn gives cover for the quail, cover for the turkeys when they're nesting, you know, all the above. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we got the habitat down, but, you know, we're still like, how can we hold these birds here? 
and, and you know what how can we make these birds be really wild right mm-hmm. we want them to be as wild as possible so we started coming up and, and we tested it in a couple of areas and, and uh we started doing what we call an early release program some places use surrogators surrogators are where they get the chicks they put them in these surrogators they raise them up to six weeks old then they turn them out of these surrogators okay um, okay in the wild all right well then also like what we do we start you know in august we get birds we've got one guy that raises our birds particularly for us we go out we turn a bunch of birds out in the areas that you know they'll be six eight weeks old and Mm -hmm. we ride through with every two weeks we feed you know so one we We've got great habitat, and I mean, we got probably some of the best habitat for quail you can imagine in the state of North Carolina. It mm-hmm. is broom straw, Indian grass, switchgrass plots, but we ride all through these quail areas and spread feed. Nine times out of ten, it's milo or cracked corn or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how we hold, that's how we we're able to hold birds. And we'll go sure. in and turn loose several thousand birds. Wow. So, but hunting season rolls around. These birds have gotten acclimated. The feed yeah. is holding them there. Between the feed and the cover, you know, mm-hmm. so that's that's keeping them in those areas. And we've got about uh, not quite 700 acres that we designate to quail areas. Okay. Um, that's a pretty good size uh, bit of property yeah, there. We got it broke out in courses. We got. You know, like this afternoon, I hunted one course, and the other guys hunted another course, and you know, we kind of rotate around. But um, so anyway, we release these birds, we feed them. They've got great cover, but the coyotes are after them, the hawks are after them. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, everything out there, they get really wild, and, and you know, it doesn't take them long to. I mean, I've had guys literally, they look at us and you're like, "You sure that wasn't a wild covey?" No, it's probably one of our early release coveys. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. right. You can tell. And, you know, it's like anything else, you know, we release some out. So, I mean, obviously we get guys that come in and we're going to shoot a bunch of birds and they shoot their birds and that area might get hit pretty hard, you know, with birds killing. So we have to turn more out throughout the year and we do, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's when you go out and turn a fresh batch out, you got some of those first ones out and then they get, I mean, we had a cubby today that it was, we was a hundred yards from them. And they got up on their own, you know, just wild, just took off. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I looked around there wild. I was like, yeah, boys, they're, they're pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's it a is. really that's, impressive operation you guys have going. It really, I mean, we've really, we found a way to make it. Now, the only thing that's probably that I wouldn't say that is you, you're going to see a lot of birds. We got a lot of birds on the ground, especially right now, this time of year, Sure. Um, yeah. you know, we run into one covey today that probably had 60 birds in it. Wow. I mean, it, it, was, it wow. was massive. Yeah. That's a huge Goodness covey. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so fun, man. Even whenever I go out there, I mean, I know where the coveys are hanging cause I've hunted every day and yeah. I, you know, but when my dogs point, I don't know if there's five birds going to be there or if there's going to be 50 birds there, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it surprises me as much as it does the guys that I hunt with. So, um, you know, that's that's what's nice about it. Yeah, definitely. 
You know, I'm glad you brought that up, just what the reality of the quail situation is there in the southeast. Um, Back in episode 19, Brandon and I, we talked with um, Iowa's state upland biologist, and uh, he he really gave us the, you know, the backstory on what quail, how they've been affected here in the Midwest, you know, not just Iowa, Mm -hmm. but but all across the Midwest. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that this year, hunting in Iowa, I saw a lot of quail and I've, you know, just from hearing from other guys and following other, other upland hunting pages on social media, it seems like there's been a good upward, uh, trend with the numbers this year for quail here in Iowa and, and, you know, hopefully in other, other parts of the Midwest. But overall, as you look at the past few, really, I guess we could say decades, you know, going back. And of course, me being a first gen hunter, I didn't pay attention to such things not that long ago. But, mm-hmm. you know, like like he's saying, we have seen kind of a, a decline for uh, quail across much of the United States. And, and the thing about that that I think is kind of, I don't know if disturbing is the right term. You know, I don't want to get too heavy handed here, but they're native to north america you know pheasants are not we love pheasants i love pheasant hunting but quail is they're one of our own you know they they uh they belong here and uh you know hopefully hopefully this little i don't know violin sad (laughs) story we're telling right here (laughs) maybe uh spurs some people to uh look into that a little bit you know maybe think about joining quail forever uh, and, uh, uh, you know, talking to your state biologist, Hey, what's going on with quail? How are they doing here in my state? You know, and, and maybe talk if you're a, if you're a private landowner, you know, maybe talk to, to a place like quail forever and find out what you can do. Some of these things like, uh, Heath has done there, uh, that, that can really help encourage, uh, quail to stick around and, and, and not just that, you know, we we want them to stick around so we can we can eventually hunt them, right? But but we uh, want to just improve their population numbers, give them that safe cover, give them that habitat that they need, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the ways we use the land now is very different than what the landscape was at one time. And I, I really think that quail are one of those species that are kind of just just uh hanging on a little bit you know to uh try and uh stick around in a lot of places like they once were so you know i think it's uh i think it's good to hear that that perspective from you know a place that's you know probably close to a thousand miles away from from me in the midwest here so it's mm-hmm. uh that's that's good information i know brandon uh maybe you can give us a a quick rundown again on the quail situation in Delaware before we uh, move on here to some specific quail hunting tactics here with Heath. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I remember my dad, you know, telling me stories, you know, when he was growing up, I mean, the quail were just thick. I mean, he would, he would hunt them. And I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't grow up with a, with a hunting dog. I mean, they would just go out in the woods and, you know, kick around doing the, doing the rabbit hunting, you know, simultaneously quail hunting and, you know, just, had had them all over the place and then you know as i was growing up we actually i mean 
we, I never saw a wild quail actually. I mean, we, we, you know, hunted a lot, did a lot of rabbit hunting, even rabbit numbers are way down in Delaware. But, um, I mean, we, we actually went out and, and Ken, I told you this before, you know, and, and you know, sometime we were just personally talking, um, you know, we went out and bought, you know, I remember my dad buying, I think it was like a hundred quail, you know, and, and we, we actually released them on our property and, you know, we had feed out there. We had really yeah. good cover on the property and, and we just released them. Um, and then we, we would hunt them over the course of a couple of weeks. And I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, they were, they were raised to, you know, they were, you know, uh, grown, you know, to, to be able to fly and, you know, so no issue with that side of things. And, um, so we really enjoyed it, you know, basically like a simulated, um, type of hunt, but I mean, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a shame that, you know, the, the, the cover, the, the, the growth rate of development and different things, you know, a lot of things have has contributed, um, to, to their downfall and, and would love to see, you know, things come back. Like, I mean, here in Delaware, uh, I mean, I grew up, you, you never saw a wild turkey in Delaware, you know, and they reintroduced turkeys, um, in 96. And I mean, the population just took off. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've got turkeys everywhere, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's great. You know, pheasants, they tried to do the same thing with pheasants, um, back in the nineties and it fell flat. And, and I mean, you know, you, I mean, you, 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 you won't see a wild pheasant now you, you might see a, a wild quail here and there, but I mean, it's, it's, it's few and far between. So, I mean, pretty cool to be hearing, you know, from the, from the preserve perspective to be able to be having, you know, cause I've done a fair amount of preserve hunting because of the nature of us not having quail and, and pheasant, you know, here in Delaware, you know, we've got some preserves and it's, it's fun, especially taking guys who haven't done a lot of hunting or, or people yeah. that, you know, just kind of interested in it. That's a really great way, um, to introduce them to things and, and have a lot of fun and, and watch, you know, dogs work and things like that, you know, so it's been really cool to, to do that side of things, but man, I, you know, I would love to love to go South or, or go out West. Like we talked to the Dakotas and, and do a, a, you know, a pheasant or a quail hunting type thing to really get the, the real picture of it. And so it's pretty cool that, you know, Heath, you guys are doing, you know, you guys are doing some pretty awesome stuff down there with how you're, you're kind of creating that experience for people. So that's, it's pretty neat what you guys are doing. I appreciate it, man. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, like you said, well, you, you, you harped on the turkey thing of being introduced and it kind of made me think about something about a turkey, of course, and that's yeah. not far around, you know, it's, you know, it is kind of sad to see something that you used to see that was really good mm-hmm. go to a big downfall, right? Uh, the way it is now, you know, and you, I guess the biggest thing with a quail, especially around here, a lot of what I call the edge effect. Um, mm-hmm. There used to be a lot of hedgerows in fields. Yes, uh, yeah. The edges of a field used to be, you know briar patches or some thick yep. edges mm-hmm. um and i think that is probably one of the number one things with a quail a quail is an edge bird you know they mm-hmm. they like mm-hmm. a, row or a really good hedge row or you know something where it's thick where they can get cover and you know mm-hmm. the style of farming these days and and managing trees and whatever else a lot of guys just want it clean Right. Yeah. You know, and, and you know that takes away from it. And we we can go back to like my personal farm, my granddaddy's farm, which, like I said, me and my wife own now. Um, I've got two small coveys of birds on my ground. I will not mm-hmm. hunt them. I won't do it. But now I did take around the back side of my big food plot, should I say, 
and I planted bicolor lespedeza around it. And mm-hmm. then also on the side, I plant a, you know, I plant something. The deer generally eat it too, but I usually plant some sorghum or, you know, some yeah, kind sure. of small grain and just leave it standing, you know, through the winter. Yep. So and that's good. But you're talking about turkeys, you know, we, we didn't have turkeys around here in the nineties. I can tell yeah. you right now, I will, I will never forget the day I was sitting where I'm sitting at right now. I'm sitting at my deer processing shop right now. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at across the road. I'm looking at the house that I grew up in and mm-hmm. on November the 11th of 1991, a hen turkey walked across my yard. <laughs> and I liked it. My daddy came in that day from deer hunting and he was like, you won't believe what I seen. I said, let me guess. You saw a hen turkey. Cause he was hunting just across the road here. Sure. And he yeah. Was like, yeah. How'd you know? She was in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> They were uh, they were trapping some birds, you know, out on the federal ground and and moving them and you know taking them to places in the Carolinas that didn't have any turkeys. Yeah. And uh, and we got in contact with a guy and we got a Jake from him and said, look, will you bring a Jake up here and turn it loose? We've watched this hen for a month now. You know, she's either in the yard or in the little cow pasture beside the house, and we turn a Jake loose up <laughs> here at the house, and. I'm not going to say that I had anything to do with it, but next year we've seen a flock of turkeys here. There was yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I was that's like, so are awesome. you kidding me? Wow. So, and we've we a good number of turkeys now, but I've even seen in the last couple of years turkeys taking a little little fall around here. Oh, yeah, okay, I've, yeah. I've heard that around the nation. that numbers have been a little bit down. So, And, you know, it's really interesting what Heath said there. That was spot on. And, Brandon, I don't know if you remember that conversation as, mm-hmm. as well as I do, but with with Todd Bogenschutz from the Iowa DNR, that was exactly what he said. He he talked about the hedgerows. In fact, he even yeah. said that, and this was one of the most incredible things he said in that conversation. He said that quail they truly are a southern bird. And as you look at the state of Iowa, who you know is really in the the heart of the Midwest, but kind of on the southern you know, half of the Midwest, I guess you would say mm-hmm. the the very Southern part of Iowa is really where most of the quail have been, but because of the planting of hedgerows as Iowa was developed, quail were able to expand all the way up into Minnesota because of those hedgerows. I mean, it's basically like this long, you know, spider webbing, networking train mm-hmm. of, of hedgerows that provided that perfect habitat, like Keith was saying. And uh, I also like how you mentioned the reality of, of uh, um, you know, uh, what, what do we call them, raptors, uh, like hawks and, and uh, osprey and, and uh, uh, falcons and eagles. You know, I think a lot of times people forget that those birds of prey, they will eat uh, ground-nesting birds. Yeah, a hawk, probably a hawk or... Hawks of all sort is probably a quail's number one predator. That's yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's and I, I would think most people wouldn't even wouldn't even consider that. And that's where that, for lack of a better term, messy, thick, nasty, don't want to walk into it uh, yeah. cover 
comes into play because they, th- those birds, they're sight, pr- they're sight predators. If they can't see the quail, yeah. they're not going to, they're not going to swoop in on them and, and pick them off. And so, yeah, you know, if, if you are, you know, a farmer or something and you're, and you're, you know, you, you're wanting to make that field edge look a little more clean and crisp. Totally understand that. It's kind of like keeping your yard looking nice, I'm sure. But, you know, if you, if you, if you like wildlife, appreciate wildlife, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, think about, talking with a uh, biologist or something and getting their opinion and, and uh you know i really think that that it'll pay off and and uh that was the other thing that that todd mentioned was woody edge cover like heath was describing there there was a study done do you remember this brandon i think it was in this study where they were they were observing coveys of quail uh mm-hmm. they found that the maximum range of quail from woody cover is about 30 yards. And so, so you gotta, you gotta have that on the landscape. And this year I shot my first ever quail and what do you know? (laughs) It was right in that nasty woody Mm -hmm. uh, cover right on the the edge of a a Creek bank. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think we as hunters, you know, and, and this is where people probably look at us like we're, we're, you know, split personality here. Wait, you want to save these populations so you can throw lead at them? <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and maybe they're right to an extent, but certainly hunting, uh, has been a big part of conservation here in North America. And, and, um, you know, if somebody told me, Hey, uh, we'll bring back quail numbers to what they were pre settlement here in Iowa, or maybe even at the the peak of whatever their population was here in Iowa, but you can't ever hunt them ever again. I'd say, okay, that's fine with me. You know, I just like having them on the landscape. I like I like oh, keeping yeah. these critters around. So, I I uh, I think it's well worth it for for all of us to consider how can we make how can we make our landscape a little bit better for these these birds. But mm-hmm. we probably should, guys, get to the other side of our split personality here and talk a little hunting strategy on these things. Yeah. Uh, can you just yeah, kind, of, kind of give it, I mean, we've been talking about it a little bit here, Heath, but can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown on like the typical behavior and, and habitat habits of, of uh, these birds? Well, guys, I have a special announcement to make. Well, it's not that special. It's just uh, that I'm not giving the tip of the day today. Brandon, our much our much more experienced host, so I guess it is a pretty special announcement. Brandon hasn't done a tip of the day for a while, so this is this is That's a good true. this is a good deal for you. Not only are you get to hear about how to hunt quail, uh, you get to hear a tip of the day from your favorite 30 year veteran, Brandon. Take her away. <laughs> All right. Yep. So, you know, it's cool to be able to reflect on um, the personal experiences that we have in the field. And, you know, I, I had um, the opportunity, as you know, you guys heard us just talking, you know, opportunity to take a deer this weekend with um, someone who I was blessed this year to be able to mentor. And he was actually actually it was my good luck charm this year. We, we went out um, four times together and uh, we saw deer two times uh, and the other two times we shot deer. So um, it, it was pretty, pretty awesome to have some success out there, especially for a first time hunter and someone who's just learning the ropes and everything. And um, and so the, the tip is really related to um 
the, the, the targeting of deer late season um, and kind of what to look for, uh, you know, depending on exactly what you're looking to harvest. And so um, in the situation that I had, um, there was, it was a last light opportunity uh, where an individual deer came in um, and I had to make the decision at the last, you know, just minute of shooting light whether or not I was going to shoot. Um, I did decide to shoot the deer, to harvest the deer. And, you know, one thing I will say is any deer harvested legally and ethically is a deer to be proud of. Um, and, you know, we support that, you know, whatever whatever you are as a hunter comfortable taking legally, that that is great. Um, what my deer ended up being was um, a buck that was shed on one side. Um, and the angle, the, the, the deer, as it was facing towards me, that side had shed, um, and the other side with the angle, like I just couldn't see, um, what it was. So, uh, you know, even though it wasn't my intention to, to shoot a shed buck at that point, I was still happy to get a deer for, for the freezer and share that with a friend. Um, and so really the tip is, you know, this time of year, late season, the doe groups, they're, they're essentially going to reform and they're going to travel in groups. You know, we've seen um, doe groups, you know, from seven to 10 does traveling in packs and groups um, this time of year on our various properties. And so if you have a, an individual deer show up to a food site, um, to a food plot, you know, something of that nature, there's a really good chance that that deer is, is a buck, you know, and so this time of year with shedding antlers, even if they don't have antlers um, take a real close look just so you're able to identify okay exactly you know what exactly that is if you're comfortable shooting it great you know fully support that that's fine um, but if you're looking to avoid that something to really pay attention to versus if you have a group come in good chance that they are going to be does because that is how they travel this time of year so just a quick tip um, as some guys are looking to just fill the freezer late season um, get a you know last chance buck you know here at the end of the season so something to look out for especially late season as those travel patterns change a little bit um, does reform into groups and, and then those bucks are going to be traveling individually for the most part so something to look out for just as we finish the season um, doing that late season hunting trying to fill those tags as we uh, finish the season out whether it's a whether you're trying to get that that last minute buck or whether you're trying to just get a, a deer for the freezer something to look out for yeah that's an excellent tip one that uh you know as as you mature in your hunting experience and mm -hmm. maybe you have have some access to some property where you can call some of the shots you're probably mm -hmm. going to want to get into some kind of i believe the guys down at uh at deer lab in uh at mississippi state university call it strategic harvest management and yep. uh, uh, QDMA would definitely uh, uh, agree with it. You want to let the young bucks walk so that they can uh, they can grow and they can get a chance to uh, yeah. spread spread their genetics for a few years and uh, mm -hmm. um, you know just create a healthier herd. So that is yeah. that is a fantastic tip. Definitely a high level tip for uh, people as they develop in their hunting uh, life. So without any further ado. Thank you, Brandon, for that tip of the day. We're going to go ahead and roll yeah. into the rest of the interview here with Mr. Heath Rayfield. So, I mean, you know, obviously a quail, I mean, he's, he's a ground nester. He's, he's a ground bird. Right. Um, so with, with that being said, um, you know, what they do early in the morning, just like any other bird, they're looking for something to go peck around and hang out through the day and dust or do whatever, you know, they're going to do during the day. 
Um, if you've got, you know, some type of grain field, food plot, you know, whatever, they're probably going to be there earlier in the mornings. You know, once the sun comes up, they're going to be on sunny hillsides. They do like to sit, you know, just like any other animal, get those sun, that first sunlight of the mornings. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this is something very interesting about a, a, a covey of quail. Um, you hear a lot of the old timers when they were growing up, they'd be walking through the woods and you would see a lot of quail droppings like in the edge of a briar patch or a little thick area. They would be just a little pile of quail droppings. And like, oh, there's a roost, quail roost, and here's a quail roost. And, you know, you can come to Buchanan right now, and I can take you to several. You'll see them, you know, throughout our property. Sure. But mm-hmm. what it is, so, so let's just say there's 10 quail in a covey, and you, you think about this. This is great for the way these birds think. So when they covey up at night, they get ready to, you know, go to roost at night. They're roosting on the ground. They're in some thick cover. Sure. That whole cubby will get butt to butt to butt. They were like get in a circle and everybody, mm. all their tails would be together and all them's head facing outwards in a circle. Hmm. Wow. Reason being is Bobcat tries to get them at night. Anything tries to come in there and slip on them at night, you know, they got all eyes on them and one bird goes, usually they all go. Right. You wow. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a that's a really cool behavior that they have. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. So, but I mean, you know, they're they're a very interesting bird, uh, and neat little bird. But like any other bird, you know, they're going to be certain areas you're going to find them um, better than others. And it's always once you go back to you go back to that edge effect. Um, you know, obviously at our place the whole pine plantation is just pure cover. So, I mean, they got mm. plenty of places to go. Right. You know, let's take some food plots we got planted in Milo and all. Nine times out of ten, I don't find them birds out in the middle of the food plot. I find mm-hmm. them somewhere along the edge. You know, yeah. They, they're they're usually not very far from some super thick cover. So, where they get up, they can go, you know, fly over there to that that cover yeah that's that's uh that's an excellent tip there and really interesting information about just their their behavioral adaptations there for how they how they stick around that's really Mm -hmm. cool now um what what kind of food are these birds you know mostly hitting are they is it best to have you know maybe some plants that are holding a lot of insects um is it better to have access to a lot of grain or just a real good, you know, like for most things, a lot of variety? Well, it's, it's kind of like probably any ground nester. Um, and th- this goes for, and I'm just saying this because we've talked about turkeys before, but quail and turkeys, when they, when they hatch them out, the first couple of weeks of their life, insects are probably the most number one best thing for them that that's what that's that's got all the the pros the high proteins in it and all they're they're wanting really bugging should you say um so you know natural grasses once again is going to hold a lot of bugs uh Mm -hmm. clover pots is one thing that holds a lot of bugs anywhere it holds a lot of bugs but then when they get a little bit older they're pretty much switching their diet over to just about all grain. I mean, don't get me wrong. If he runs by a cricket, he's probably going to grab it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, right. You know, I mean, that's just a little extra. But 99.9% of the time, 
you go shoot a bird at our place, you can see where he, his little crawl will be full of the grain we feed or, you know, one of the food plots grains, which is generally Milo. Um, mm. You know, the edge of bean fields, they like that. They'll eat beans, they'll eat corn, but any kind of grain uh, mm. is, is typically what he's going to be in. Uh, that makes sense. Um, you know, it's something else that I, I always want, and maybe I shouldn't say I wonder about as much as I'm starting to, to observe. When I uh, hunt pheasants here in Iowa, I typically find birds not too far from a water source. Are quail that same way where they'll hug pretty tight to a a steady water source or not so much of a, a, a deal for them? Uh, it's, you know, I mean, any wildlife's got to have water. Right. But mm-hmm. a quail can, he can get a lot of his water, you know, from dew droplets in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably more so out that way, especially when y'all freeze up. Yeah. Um, he's, he's probably got to find some kind of water that he can drink. Uh, but, you know, generally around here, I mean, you might find them in the head of a pond or something like that, but it's probably a big, thick briar patch there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, generally around here, water isn't a, I don't think I would say, well, we need to go hunt around these ponds over here, you know, to find a covey of birds. Um, yeah. They would have to be something else telling me to go hunt around it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this this year was really, and I've come across quail before while, while pheasant hunting, not many at all. But this year I was able to uh, get on, I think it was probably the same covey each time, but it was a good healthy sized covey, maybe, you know, 15 birds or so, which is, you know, really good around here. But um, oh, yeah. the uh, thing I noticed about them was they seem to hold a lot tighter than pheasants do. I mean... You had to, the dogs had to be right on them before they would finally, you know, get nervous enough for one of them to, to take off. Is that, is that your experience there in the southeast? Do they, do they hold a little bit longer than, than pheasants do? And then kind of on top of that, pheasants they run, they they prefer to run out ahead of you before they ever get to a point where they have to. They have to flush, you know. Do, do quail do that much? Are they much of a runner? Or uh, do they just kind of hold, 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 and then when they when they can't t- take the pressure anymore, they flush? Exactly. Yeah, you know, a quail, I mean, if you look at him, I mean, he's designed to blend into the ground. Right. I mean, he is, um, the good Lord above knew what he was doing when he was camouflaging a quail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, that is that's right they're they're designed to just stay tight right there until mm-hmm. you flush mm-hmm. them now there's other quail you know obviously we're hunting bob whites but you know yeah. you get down texas and and some of that southwestern part of the united states and you know you start running into scales quail and blues quail and all that they're big runners mm. they they like to run a lot mm. but okay. i think it's more so with the rain out that way you know they're they're in that yeah. real wide open terrain so yeah right they probably right. A lot more than these you know the bob whites being in the thicker stuff yeah right yeah that's good to know because i i really had that thought this year is like 
you know, they don't seem like they're running, but, but, um, you know, when you look at them after you got one in your hand, it's like, yeah, I can see how they could, they could probably, uh, beat out a path pretty quick, a lot faster than I can. <laughs> <laughs> don't get thrown. A Bob White can run if he wants to run. Um, mm-hmm. and I think those little inch and a half long legs could go as fast as they could. But they, they... <laughs> yeah, they got those big runner feet, kind of like a kind of like a rooster <laughs> pheasant. Yep, for sure. Oh, they're cool birds, yep. no doubt. So, you know, one of the things that I've I've um, been learning as I've been hunting pheasants is, and I think part of the problem is during deer season. I'm almost a nervous wreck. You know what I mean? Just trying to be so careful with my scent, trying to be so careful with my, my noise level and, and, uh, making sure the wind is right, making sure, you know, I got the right camouflage on. Then when you get to hunting birds, it's like you'd breathe this big sigh of relief. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't care if my vest stinks. I don't care if, uh, you know, I, I got, I got some, uh, breakfast on the way here to hunt this morning and, and, uh, you know, dogs are whining and you kind of almost let your guard down a little bit too much. And then when you get out and start chasing roosters, you start to find out, man, these birds, they're, they're flushing early. And I really think it's because, <laughs> You know, we basically sounded the alarm as soon as we got ready to hunt them. Like, hey, we're here to hunt you, and <laughs> and uh, you know, we we've just tipped them off in a sense, or put you know made them made them anxious, and you know, really hurt our hunting beforehand. Have you noticed that noise level is? I, I mean, obviously, you can you know be be a little ridiculous with 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 that, and I'm sure you're going to scare anything away. But do you got to be a little bit more? more quiet with quail than than you do with other you know upland species or or they'll uh, be flushing too early on you or is that not something you really worry too much about when you're hunting no i i don't really worry about that and because if, if if that was the case man i believe all mine would be gone before we got halfway through a hunt because <laughs> you know, I, I, I dogs and telling dogs to whoa and you know yeah. come here and fetch them up you know flush your cubby and one dog takes off the way them birds wanted to go and you know i don't want him to get there before we get there so i'm hollering at him to come back you know so i you know i don't think that quail that would really matter a whole bunch you know from that standpoint just because once again they're trained to when they hear danger or hear something to go cubby up and huddle down and get real tight mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. now now he like, right and and i was going to say like what what what's your experience like in terms of the the birds responding to pressure in general you know if you're hunting and it, you know it obviously sounds like you guys have a, yeah, that's a, a great big, question you know, big area of land you know but in terms of you know let's say a hunter out there who maybe has a smaller piece has you know a few cubbies of you know, of birds, you know, what, what, what's your experience with how the birds respond to pressure in terms of being hunted repeatedly? I, I will say like, if let's just say, for instance, if I went and hunted my personal farm mm-hmm. and I've got two or three cubbies over there, yeah, I, I would not hunt those birds no more than, you know, a couple times a year at most. Yeah. Uh, one, you know, I would go shoot cubby rise only, 
Mm-hmm. And probably wouldn't shoot but one or two birds out of the covey if I was lucky enough to, you know, make the shot. Yeah. And if I did shoot one or two out of them, I probably wouldn't go hunt that covey again just because, you know, the way it is now. Um, yeah. I will say for a fact that, you know, a true wild covey, you're going to catch them out on the edge feeding a time or two. And then, you know, if you hunted them like, back in my early days whenever i was younger and my daddy hunted and we hunted a lot mm-hmm. um if we knew one particular covey was always in an area at a certain you know late afternoon or early morning you know we mm-hmm. might hit them once or twice here and there but you know didn't put a whole lot of pressure on them just for the simple fact of it you know yeah yeah trying to protect the 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 quality yeah. quantity of them and all that yeah right sure do you, do you find that they that they do respond to pressure though like you know, like like similarly to how deer would you know if you're they, they they tend to become educated pretty quickly in terms of anticipation or or is is that not the case No yeah and and you'll see it especially when it comes to you know when your dogs are pointing um, Yeah and, and I I can even see that down here where I, where I work at now with what we do down there you know my dogs point and and you know, he'll go on a hard point, and all of a sudden he just starts kind of creeping. And mm-hmm. I'll look at my hunter and say, all right, guys, this could probably be a big covey, and they're running on us. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're trying to get away because they know we're normally here. Or I have just like, I mean, we had it happen today, you know, 100 yards away from us. We shoot three or four birds that get up, and I hear something and look up the hill, and, you know, a big covey just gets up and takes off. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we're, we're hunting them. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, they do. They will, and I've seen it in wild bird. You know, true, hundred percent wild birds. You hunt them a time or two. You know, that dog liable to go up there and point. And as soon as he points, before you get up there to him to get a shot at him, you know, they get up wild and just, yeah, just right. take off. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a that was that's a good question, Brandon, on on how they respond to pressure. I know from a pheasant standpoint, that really affects them. In fact. um, you know, I, I often tell people the best time to hunt pheasants here in Iowa is early season and late season. After, mm-hmm. you know, a month into the, the pheasant season, the hunting can get, even though the weather's great for it, you know, it's it's perfect temperatures for running your dogs all day and for mm-hmm. getting out and not sweating to death or freezing to death. The birds have just, they've received enough pressure at that point. It was kind of like what Heath just described where you're 100 yards away and all of a sudden you see you know, all the birds take off and, yeah, and, uh, that can be, that can be really frustrating. So, you know, even from a, from a standpoint of conservation and a standpoint of just better hunting, you know, it's probably, probably good to lay off the coveys after, after a few times, like Keith just talked yeah. about, unless, you, you know, you got a situation like what they have at Buchanan there where they're putting new birds in all the time, but yeah, that's that was a that was a really good question, Brandon. Um, Thanks, sir. The the other thing I wanted to to ask about here with um uh, uh, with with quail hunting is a lot of times you hear people talk about scattering the covey. So you you know you flush the covey once, maybe they go fifty yards away, your dogs get on them again, and it just seems like as they're flushing. Uh, they, the number of birds you see flushing, it, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Is that a real problem 
Heath, where, where the covey breaks up like that after they flushed a few times or not really? Well, yeah, most of the time, you know, and we can go back to early ages. You know, my daddy said to me telling me I needed to watch where the singles go. Well, it, it happens still to the day. I will be honest. If I get a covey of 30 birds get up, 70% of the time, my guys were lucky if they kill one or two birds out of that cubby. Wow. Um, it's a whole lot. Let, let's that. There's a lot of birds there, but right. there's a whole lot going on. Still, yeah, you, know, right. you would think, oh, well, all them birds get up. You can just shoot right in the middle of them and you're going to get one. <laughs> yeah. Bird. Um, and then you go get a cubby scattered. A lot of times when you get one scattered, you know, you start running into what I call singles. Well, them singles could be two or three birds you know, one bird. Sure. And, and you, you pro- your shooting picks up and you, you shoot a little better on the singles and the scattered birds. And I do that still here, you know, at Buchanan. I usually try to go hit some of my big coveys first on mm-hmm. a hunt when I'm got and, and get those birds scattered. And I may try to come into them a certain way and push them and make them fly. You know, if I can make them scatter out in the pines instead of, you know, off on a creek bank where it's super thick or something like that and get them scattered out yeah. and then you mm-hmm. know, hunt. So, but yeah, they definitely, when you get the new, normally when you get that first covey up, they may be somewhat grouped up when they land back down, but they're going to be kind of scattered. So, and you, you can do it with a wild covey. You can do it with our coveys at Buchanan. You can do it either way. You know, you go get a covey busted up. And then if you just go bust them up and then sit back, and listen, in about 15 minutes, you'll just hear them all start whistling and trying to get back together. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I love that. I love that Bob White call. That's, that's, oh, yeah. That's, that's really fun to listen to that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the dogs that you're hunting here. Uh, are Do you have a specific breed of bird dog that you have found through your years of hunting? These dogs are just meant to hunt quail? Or... Um, is it more so just based on how you train the dog? No, you, you definitely have breeds of dogs that were born to point. Um, mm-hmm. probably the number one dog that was bred to go hunt a quail is the English pointer. Okay. Um, I, I'm very fond of an English pointer because that's what I grew up with. And I have two of my own right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing with an English pointer, you can run into what, uh, daddy, my daddy, my uncle, my uncle was big in field trials and stuff. And, you know, English pointers can be known as big runners, you know, drop them out on one of them Iowa fields and he'll take the whole field edge. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, but then you got what you call the meat dogs, the ones that didn't hunt that far out. And that's the ones they'd use for hunting. So anyway, uh, a pointer is, is by far, I think probably the number one quail dog. That's what you're going to see more than anything. Probably mm-hmm. second you're going to see is a English setter. Okay. Um, you know, there's basically just the same thing as a pointer, just got long hair. Yeah. Um, and then probably thirdly, if I had to pick my top three would be a German short hair. And, yeah. uh, I've gotten really fond to the German short hairs in the last couple of years, um, I've got a couple that are 
phenomenal, especially what I do. German short hairs are, let's just take the difference between a German short hair and an English pointer. Nine times out of ten, an English pointer is a dog that's all business. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is you take him hunting, he's out there to hunt and, you know, hunt only. Where a German short hair, he's out there to please you, hunt his little heart out. But then again, you know, if someone was looking for a good all-around dog, he's also a good pet. You know, I mean, he... Right, loved, yeah. And loved on just as much as, you know, they do hunting. But now my pointers, they don't care if you pet them up or not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're so, working dogs. And then, you know, and, and also, you know, nine times out of ten, a German short hair is not a real big ranging dog. They don't usually get real rangy on you. Yeah. So they're just kind of working little figure eights right out in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, so, you definitely want that. Um, and we, we've got a little bit of all of them. We've got, we've got 30 dogs on hand at Buchanan. Um, we've got short hairs. We've got setters. We've got pointers. Uh, we've got labs because we got where in the last several years we use labs or Boykin spaniels or Cocker spaniels to flush the birds. Okay, um, yeah. Our dogs go on point. And we've got a flushing dog at our heel. I ask my hunters, are you ready? And I holler back. And that flushing dog goes in in front of them pointers and, you know, flushes the birds up. Yeah, that's a, I think that's what you mentioned there. This is the first year I have really noticed the value in that. I have Mm -hmm. two, I have two bird dogs for hunting pheasants and uh, I have uh, a Brittany and then uh, a Brittany poodle mix she's a rescue and and uh so she was you know not really bred for hunting but she's got enough Brittany in her that she's a real good hunting dog and um uh she actually you know some people will tell you that a poodle is a good hunting dog but uh the brit when it comes to pointing you know what i mean he just he just stays put and does not move and and the the Brittany Spoodle, she'll do a little bit of that, but she starts to get impatient. And so she'll walk in there and she'll, she'll finally get the birds to flush. And that is huge when you're hunting quail, I think, because the, the way they hold tight, like we were talking, you know, you almost take your eye off the ball, so to speak. You know, you're standing there, you're like, all right, these birds are going to flush any moment. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And by the time they finally do flush, you know, it's because you're stomping around on the grass trying to get the birds up. Man, having that dog come in and take care of that for you, it just makes you that much. It, it gives you that split second back that you need to, to mm-hmm. knock the bird down. So I uh, oh, yeah. I totally see the value in having both when you're you're hunting, having a flusher and having a pointer to 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 go in and get the birds up so you can anticipate that a little bit better. I think that's, uh, that's, that's a huge bit of dog handling strategy there. Um, you know, we just talked about the pointing of course, and, and the flushing. Are there any other really specific, you know, quail specific skills that you're trying to train into your dogs before you're comfortable taking them into the field? You know, training a bird dog starts, 
you know, really early, in, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is once that puppy's old enough to, I would say, you know, once he's old enough to kind of run around in the yard as a little bitty puppy. Um, basically, what I do is keep a quail wing tied onto a fishing rod. Right. And you can that quail wing or it, it, it ain't got to be a quail wing. I mean, if you got access to a quail wing, great. If not, you can take a rag and tie it on the end of that fishing pole. And that dog is trained. It's in their blood that when something hits in front of them and they kind of, you know, catch that attention that they're supposed to stop. And, you know, yeah. they kind of point it. Um, so I start them really early doing that. And then, of course, when mm. they get, oh, six to eight months old, you know, I'm trying to put them on, on some live birds then. And right. the number one thing in my book, I think, when it comes to a bird dog is the command, whoa. When you tell him, whoa, he's supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where he's at or what's going on. You know, when I holler, whoa, it doesn't matter if he's right beside me or 100 yards out there. He's supposed to hit the brakes and stop yeah. and look around. And because a lot of times, you know, I run two pointing dogs with me at all times. Um, so one dog might be on point, and here comes the other one barreling up there, and, and I holler, whoa, well, he's supposed to stop and look around. And when he sees that other dog, you know, he's supposed to back him and honor him, regardless yeah. of, you know, how yeah. far away he is or whatever. You know, he's supposed to honor him. But whoa is probably the number one command to a dog. Um, and I, you know, everybody's got a different command. Some people like using whistles to make them come back. I just kind of holler up, you know, real quick. If that dog's getting out there a little ways and I'm wanting to go another ways, I holler up to them and, you know, they'll turn and come back into me. Sure. You know, or if they getting out before and I want them to check in, I just holler up, um, up and whoa, or cut. You know, a lot of my daddy grew up hollering cut. He'd holler cut, and that dog was supposed to cut over, you know, mm-hmm. so, and hunt, hunt. But, you know, it's just kind of what you bring them up on, but everybody knows the word whoa. Yeah. You know, most dog trainers or bird dog hunters, you know, when that dog goes on point, they holler and whoa. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's some really good starter material there for someone who's wanting to pick up some dogs and, and uh, take them hunting. And I'm, I'm going to tell you now that, I think I've mentioned it before on the show. When you have some bird dogs, mm-hmm. the and especially when you're pheasant hunting, when you can only shoot the roosters, and so you yeah. know you figure a lot of times it's even more than half the time, but at least half the time your dog is pointing out hens, which you can't shoot. You're right. The when when you see them do what they're supposed to do. That is oh, yeah. just as good as bagging a bird. It is. Absolutely. It is. It is so uh, rewarding to see your mm-hmm. your hard work, you know, come come to fruition there, and and oh, just yeah. to admire the skills of the dog. You know, it's yes, yeah. It's, well, it's really enjoyable. That's part of it. You know, I, I have a lot of guys say, "Do you ever get tired of bird hunting?" I mean, you you do it every day, all day, a lot of times. And I'm like, no, I don't get tired of it. And they're like, I said, yeah, it becomes a job. Don't get me wrong. I mean, anything you do enough of, it's a Uh job, but it's a job that I enjoy. And they were like, well, you don't ever get to shoot. No, I don't get to shoot much. I probably shoot two or three times a year, maybe. You know, Uh the other day, obviously, one of the videos you've seen me, 
that's probably one of the first times I've shot at a quail this year. And one of my clients said, here, you shoot a cubby rise. And, oh, that's pretty and I cool. got his gun, went up there and shot a cubby rise. But, um, you know, it, it's the dog work. It's good. Dog work is always fun to see, especially if it's your dogs, you know? Yeah. Right. I had a guy today bragging. I've got a short hair right now that is probably, it'd be hard pressed for me right now to tell you he's probably not one of the best dogs i've ever had wow he's, he's probably one of lifetime dogs he was the easiest dog to break mm. he's just it was just natural i mean it got him at 11 months old he had never seen a bird never done anything with a bird and i literally carried him hunting two clients that i know very well um we hunted you generally we hunt two rounds on a hunt and mm-hmm. we got on the second round. i told the guys i said i've got a short hair in here guys that i'd like to try out do you mind if i put him on the ground i have no idea what he's gonna do yeah and uh and they said yeah sure let's see what he'll do and i turned him out the box and i didn't know if he was fixing to leave the country or stay at my <laughs> what he's gonna do so i mean I, you know obviously i had a collar on e-collar on him mm-hmm. and um he took off and he run through a covey of birds and i hollered whoa and i kind of tapped him a little bit and he looked back at me like what was that and took back off and he run through another covey of birds and i hollered whoa again and tapped him again and uh but long story short within about an hour i had a broke dog wow, i had a dog wow. that is now the best dog that i he's out to find every bird he's out to retrieve every bird i mean wow he's the team so man and some of them have it and then again you know i've had dogs before that it might take them a year to fall into their group Mm -hmm. but it's just fun to watch good dog work yeah oh my goodness yeah yeah, and I, feel, and I feel like, you know, for for those those of us, you know, you know the first-hand hunters or, or people who maybe don't live in an area where you can, you know, hunt wild birds or, or, you know, have a similar situation, you know, like what you guys have set up, it's it's fun just going. You know, I know when I was younger, you know, grew up doing a ton of deer hunting and all that, and then when I was, you know, real early teens, you know, my dad took me on a, on a couple of preserve hunts, and I mean, that I still remember, you know, like the first time seeing dogs work. And I mean, it was just, I mean, the, the guide was out, had his dogs. And I mean, it was just, that was honestly one of the funnest parts, even for a young kid to just see the dogs working like that and seeing how they work as a team and, and how the, you know, the, the guide has such a connection with them and all of that. So, I mean, I, I feel like what an awesome thing for first gen hunters or for, you know, dads, moms, you know, taking kids out, you know, as they get a little older, you know, to, to go on a hunt like that, even if it is a preserve hunt, I mean, it can really, you know, instill that, that love for that type of hunting, you know, early on. So it's pretty cool for kids to, to see a lot of that stuff. And I'm, I'm sure you see, you know, plenty of you know, father, sons, you know, different setups come and, and enjoy hunting. Is that right? I see, I see a lot of it and I have actually, you know, that is one blessing being down here i have mm-hmm. introduced a lot of kids yeah outdoors yeah you know, that's nice. awesome that's great ah, this is okay but you know i i would and i'll tell anybody this doesn't matter who it is 
if I can take you hunting, I would rather take a kid hunting than I would an old man. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're introducing somebody into something that is somewhat, you say, you know, I mean, hunting, I hope, don't ever go anywhere, but mm-hmm. it's one of them things you, you want the kids to grow up knowing that, look, you, you can go out there and go hunt and put food on the table if you need to. Yeah, yeah, right. At the end of the day, it's it's a sport, and mm-hmm. it's a sport that's really really fun. But yeah. there's also a benefit to it: quail, pheasant, turkey, deer, hogs. You know, whatever you decide to go hunt, yeah, is also really good table fare if you do it right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's true. Well, and I I feel like it's good for kids to see that. You know, it's good to see that for kids to see that exchange. You know, going out, putting the time and the effort in then coming back and enjoying that as a family. I mean, I, I think that's important for them to see. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm sure every state has probably have it or has it. Um, you know, we have, you know, youth week of Turkey season. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I got, I've got kids. If I don't have somebody that I have that calls me, that wants me to guide them, I'll call somebody. And say, mm-hmm. look, can I, eat? you know, I've got friends that's got little boys or girls, you know, it doesn't matter. Hey, your daughter want to go turkey hunting or your son want to go turkey hunting. And, um, I've got particularly one, a really good friend of mine and or two of them, and they both have two boys apiece and they've got daughters, but all their boys in the last two years, I've literally created little monsters. Um, <laughs> they're, they're like boys. We, we, we killed their first birds and, and and we killed all, every one of them killed their first bird with me. And then they've killed every turkey with me. And last year I had three of the boys with me one afternoon on a hunt and we killed three turkeys. We had four come in there and we killed three of them. Oh man. Nice triple Um, man. It's just fun seeing the kids, no matter what, if it's their first quail duck deer, you know, my little boy is six years old and. And he killed his first buck and doe this year. Nice. That's um, really cool. He killed his first two turkeys this past turkey season. And um, it's just good. Yeah. 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 That's special. That's, that's, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, uh, Ethan. I'm sure you'll agree, you know, as, you know, you remember growing up as a kid and, you know, how amazing it was to, you know, to have those memories created, whether it was hunting or the outdoors, fishing, you know, whatever. And, and you thought that was awesome, but then, you know, you, you become a father and you, you watch, you know, you have the ability to create those memories, um, in, in your child and you realize, wow, that's even better, um, than experiencing it yourself as a kid. Now you're able to watch those memories being created in your child or in, or in other kids, like you said, you know, chance to take, um, other kids out. And I mean, how, how special that is. It's even better than when you experience it as a kid yourself to be able to see, you know, that come full circle. So pretty cool that you're able to experience that, you know, not just even with your own children, but, but also other kids and seeing them, seeing essentially that excitement being born into them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, everybody asked me this year, how was your deer season? How was your deer season? Mm-hmm. My deer season, Hey, don't get me wrong. I had a great season, but sure. it was probably one of the best I've ever, or it was the best season I've ever had in my hmm. life. Cause I was sitting right beside my little boy when he shot his first buck. And then me oh. and him went later on to shoot some does and mm-hmm. me and him both ended up doubling up on does one afternoon. He shot nice. one. 
Oh man, nice. <laughs> That's really cool. And I don't know if y'all <laughs> he kind of went viral that afternoon he killed his first buck. Um we done a little video clip on him and 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 he's just he's six years old but he, he sometimes he talks like he's a grown up. Yeah. So he went on this race about I just turned turned around and started videoing him and I said, Tell us about your hunt, buddy. And he said, guys, he said, get outdoors. All you got to do is get outdoors. (laughs) You might kill a deer or turkey. You just got to get outdoors. (laughs) That's awesome. That is really awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. I had posted that video, and it. He was all excited to see all everybody seeing his views. And, I mean, it, it went viral there for quite a while. Oh man, that's really that awesome. Really yeah. cool. Well, there's something about the excitement of a kid, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's not, it's unscripted. It's, you know, the, we all, you know, in this social media world, you know, you know, it, it, a lot of times it's, that becomes the focus and, you know, with kids, it's just so genuine and new and fresh. And it, you know, just reminds us all of why we love what we love, you know? And so it's pretty cool to be reminded of that. Yeah. It's raw. It's the- Yes. Yes. And the coming from the heart, you know, I mean, there. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, what's your boy's name again? Heath. Vincent. Vincent. Benson? Okay. So Benson would it be? Oh, okay. Benson. Yep. So, uh, this is, this is our official heads up here from first gen hunter someday on monster bucks. There will be a Benson rayfield episode there uh, they'll, go. they'll be nice. talking about the, they'll be talking about the benson <laughs> rayfield monster buck and uh you heard it here first people we hope, we hope so yeah that's right <laughs> no that's real sounds like he's he's well on his way to uh having a, a great lifetime of enjoying a whole lot of hunting so yes. yeah that's that's pretty special daddy when can i go to kansas with you <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right it'll probably take you a few hours longer to get there you know with all the bathroom breaks once you have the kids in the car right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man well hey as we wind down here um you know just uh uh before we go as hunting season draws to an end here we you know Brandon and I, we were, we were talking about, you know, what we were going to record this week. And one of our ideas was talking about, you know, making sure that we maintain balance during hunting season and, you know, not being away from our families too much and, and, um, not getting our priorities out of whack, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's still good to every once in a while, make yourself a better hunter during the off season and um you know hunting quail is a lot of fun but it's also really challenging um i i have found shooting a quail is probably 10 times harder than shooting a pheasant i mean they're fast they're much smaller target they kind of take you off guard a little bit more than what a pheasant does and Mm -hmm. um they're just yep. they're tough to hit like you said you know you can have a whole covey of 30 birds flush and it's it's not uncommon to empty your gun and not have a bird drop and is there anything people can be doing during the off season 
to improve their quail hunting skills? Uh, yeah. Go shoot sporting clays. Don't go shoot skeet. Yeah. Go shoot sporting clays. Okay. Sporting clays, you know, obviously, are all angles. You know, but I mean that—that's the one thing. That's probably the only thing that I would say that you can actually go do to hone your shooting ability. Um, and then you know, once again, dog training is a never-ending thing. So you always got to have right. your dog out messing with him or whatever. But as far as your skills yourself, uh, you know, just just getting familiar with you know, if you got a new gun or your old gun, just getting comfortable with that. I'll tell anybody, you know, shooting a quail or any kind of wing shooting, really, but particularly really a quail, it's a reaction shot more so than a shot that you're anticipating. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting in a dove field and I'm watching that dove fly all the way across that field. To me. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're fixing to get that shot. Where when a cubby quail, you kind of going in there, all right, where are they going to get up? Where are they going to get up? And all of a sudden they get up and you got, you know, you got to make a, a split second decision yeah. on how to shoot that bird, the lead of that bird, you know, all that. So it's more of that hand-eye contact or contact stuff and knowing your gun, making sure you're safe with your gun and, and just getting that proper gun mount really quick, you know? Yeah, yeah. Relax when you go when you go shoot sporting clays. Don't pre mount. Don't put your gun up your shoulder and you know right. keep, yeah. keep that gun in a relaxed position, just yeah. like you were hunting. And, and then then you know go from there. Yeah, well said. That's a good tip. That's a really good tip. And uh, getting out and shooting those sporting clays. Yeah, that is something that I intend to do every year, and I need to do a better job of it. And you know what? That's something that can be a lot of fun to uh, introduce somebody to. You know, give them that little bit of a taste of hunting. Of course, you're not actually hunting. You're shooting uh, blaze orange discs of uh, cl- clay or whatever they are, terracotta. Uh, they're, they're, uh, th- they're not getting the full hunting experience, but they're definitely getting a taste of it. And um, it's just a lot of fun. You know, you have a little bit of a competition. You can, you know, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, going to football practice in high school, you know, you're throwing a football or kicking a football or something. Mm-hmm. You, you see yourself messing up the same way over and over again. Make the little tweak, and uh, you know, you start making those, start making those right adjustments. Then uh, you'll be doing the birds a favor too when you're hunting them, and you're not just winging a bunch of birds and leaving them to suffer a night or two before a coyote finds them. But yeah, it's, right. it's, exactly. uh, it's, it's worth it to put in that time to get better. And, you know, you'll have, of course, a whole lot more fun when you're out there hunting. All right. One last, yeah, one last, uh, tip from you here, Heath, we're trying, we're trying to get our, get our full effect here. Um, you have one day to hunt. Let's say this is like some some uh, high profile. Uh, uh, let's you know what. Let's say like Field and Stream came down to Buchanan, and they wanted to do a feature article on you, and you're wanting to give these guys you know a great experience, or maybe maybe you're hunting wild birds somewhere, and you know it's like a dream hunt for you or whatever. Whatever the situation is, you got four hours, but you get to pick the date. 
So any month, any any time of the year, um, that's you know hunting season, and and uh, the weather conditions you can choose those. How are you going to hit your limit of quail? What's your approach going to be? Um, probably the the what I would call the ideal day to go upland hunting is a day that would be probably mid 40s now this is for here sure uh mid 40s 50 degrees something where i can wear a light jacket while i'm hunting Mm -hmm. but not be too warm while i'm walking around sure i fresh sunny you know just a nice bluebird day but it's nice and cool outside your dogs don't overheat you can hunt the birds are going to be you know on those on the feed because it's cold they need to eat and uh they're probably going to be in some uh hillsides where the the sun's shining you know the first part of the morning just i i prefer i prefer morning hunting if i had to get i mean you know obviously we hunt morning and afternoons but um it just seems like the morning hunts go a little better to me um Mm -hmm. Afternoon hunts are great, don't get me wrong, but it seems like sometimes in the afternoons we may have to dig a little deeper to find the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where in the they're out and about and frisky and you, you find them right where you want to find them and everything like that. But I would just say, you know, that, that mid-40s day that's, you know, nice and sunny and crisp outside. Hmm. That's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. Really good tip. Yeah. That's the kind Um, of thing that I think, you know, translates over to some extent from state to state, you know, finding, finding those conditions with the birds like, and you know, where to look for them, that kind of thing. So yeah. Appreciate that. Oh yeah. Well, and you know, getting on to that, you know, especially probably in the Midwest, it probably would make more sense than where I'm at, but you, and you really wouldn't think about it in a sense of wind direction to go hunt quail but you know if that dog's out running around and you got the wind over your back he's gonna run by the birds before yeah he smells. yeah that's You're a good right point. yeah yep. yeah very good point yeah, yeah. i'm glad you brought that up I hunt into the wind yep we definitely do that out here it gets pretty it gets pretty windy here on the uh <laughs> wide open uh cut corn fields and bean fields and and uh, you're exactly right if you aren't hunting into the wind. And the other thing for that, too, a nice effect of hunting into the wind, especially with, uh, you know, big old pheasants, but I'm sure it's true, too, for quail. When they flush into the wind, it's almost like they parachute there for a second, you know. they get they, mm-hmm. yep. the, the wind catches their wings, and it just holds them for that extra half second. And so often it is that extra half second that makes it or breaks it for upland hunting you know they can they can get out of the range of those pellets so fast and if you got that little bit of extra advantage on your side um i've found that that good things good things come from that so mm-hmm. yeah that's a great yep. tip well Heath, before we close out here how can people uh track down what you're doing with uh buchanan and uh buck ventures the woodsman and uh even you know find you on instagram or something like that 
Well, obviously you can just it's it's Heath Rayfield on Instagram, you know, at Heath Rayfield, and same thing on Facebook. Uh, those are the only two social media things that I do. Uh, if someone is interested in coming and wanting to hunt at Buchanan Shoals, uh, we're on the we've got a website which is BuchananShoals dot com. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of us. That website will obviously have all the numbers and everything that you need to get in contact with us down there. But um, social media platforms, I am, you know, it's just Heath Rayfield on Facebook and on Instagram. Yeah, I'll put links for that in uh, the show notes on this for, for everyone listening. So uh, if you want, want to go and, you know, maybe you are from the Carolinas area or the East coast or something, and, and uh, it's not that far of a drive for you to go give pay, pay Heath a visit. I'm sure it'd be well worth your while. And, you know, Brandon, I say this almost every episode, we need to go visit these people. That'd be a fun trip to do, you know, and I bet we could get old Noel to uh carpool with me out, out uh, to the East coast. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'd love, yeah. To, love to get back to the Carolinas, get some good sweet tea, and would enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for That's sure. Right, boy. If we go early enough in the season, maybe you can show me what that uh, that saltwater fishing's all about, too, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Saltwater fishing. Yes. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. Uh, yep, yep. I love, I Brandon, love saltwater fishing. Once we get to like spring and summer, Brandon rubs it in like uh pretty much every episode. <laughs> well, uh, ask ask Noel. You can ask Noel, uh I have been known to send him a picture every now and then of a fresh grouper fillet laying on a plate <laughs> or a, nice, yes. A fresh fresh <laughs> fish or, or flounder or something, you know. And he mm-hmm. just looks at he'll sit back like that's not, not not funny. Just don't don't do that. To <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah, flou- flounders flounders my thing. So yeah, I hear you. I'm, I love getting out there. Oh, you guys, you guys. Yeah, didn't we ask okay. Noel once, Brandon? Didn't we ask him if he missed his seafood down there in Mississippi? Yes, we did. And, yep, you're right. Oh man, he about wept. He was yes. he was uh, <laughs> he he definitely misses it. I thought he was proud. This year, I seen him. I seen him a picture of. Uh, I had two big old grouper fillets that I had just. We was in the Outer Banks, and uh, I, I did not go out and catch them. I will vouch for that. But I uh, stopped by the fresh seafood market, and they had just come in with a with a grouper and got some fresh fillets off of him. And I'd sent Noel said, "Man, the perks are living around the East Coast." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That- that sounds like a good time and some good eating for yeah. sure. So yes. well, thank you so much, Heath, for coming on tonight. Everyone, make sure you head over to uh the links that I, I share here in the in the show notes, uh Buchanan Check out Heath on Instagram. Check out Buck Ventures the Woodsman. You can find them on My Outdoor mm-hmm. TV. You can see uh I'm sure Heath's got an episode in there. Uh Heath, is there a way people can track down your monster bucks episode too? I should have I should have asked you about that earlier. Uh, yeah, they actually have, you know, the, the real tree volume 29 is out, uh, or real tree monster books 29. I'm on volume one. Um, it'll be, you know, under Heath Rayfield's hunting the Kansas giant, or you can look on, uh, the app real three, uh, real tree 365. It's on that app. Um, 
So uh, that that would probably be the easiest way. I don't think it. I think it's an app you can download it. It does not cost anything or whatever to have Realtree 365. And, awesome. uh, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff on there and all, but yeah, Monster Bucks is on there too. And then there's several, uh, last year and this year, I had a couple of episodes on, um, on the Woodsman. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out myself. And of course you can find our buddy Noel Gandy on there too, with his Iowa giant that he shot last year. And, uh, you know, make sure you guys give the woodsman page a follow as well and, uh, give them a, a, uh, you know, good check out there and some likes and views and all that. Brandon, any, uh, quick updates on hunt fish life here before we close this out? Oh, no, just, just finishing out the season. We've got one uh, week left of deer season. was able to uh, take a, a guy out that uh, I've been mentoring. Um, actually took three different guys out um, this, this past week. So we were kind of running around and uh, just getting some guys out that, that can't get out very often and a couple guys just brand new to it. Uh, and so we were able to get a, a deer for the freezer um, with one of the guys, one of the new guys. And so um, awesome. fortunately was able to, to drop it and actually was able to uh, give it to a friend who uh, needed some deer meat. So uh, just kind of a good finish to things there. Got a little dove hunting in actually too. Uh, wow. Had some success with that. Uh, so did that and just, you know, we kind of had one last final uh, hoorah with uh, with our our you know, hunting club group and, uh, met up after the morning hunt and just connected and, you know, enjoyed that fellowship. So just kind of good finish to things and, uh, looking forward to a, a little break for February and March before we, uh, get back to the, the, the food plot side of things, the turkey hunting and, uh, and then get back into some, uh, some bass fishing and some flounder fishing for, uh, yep, May and yep, June. Yep, so man, yep. uh, li- life is good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And of course you can check out, uh, Brandon and his team on, uh, Facebook, on Instagram. You can find both of those links, uh, through their website, thehuntfishlife.com. Make sure you head over there. Please, please, please head over to firstgenhunter.com as well. You can link up with me on Facebook go wild instagram and uh you can see all the content there get on the youtube channel i have some videos in the works people i finally have started to take this massive pile of footage i have from deer season and uh, i don't know why i did this brandon this was just such a head shake moment for me but (laughs) i uh put together my november video before i did my october video and then when i got done i was like great now what are you gonna do you can't you can't release november before october so (laughs) so i gotta i gotta go back through all my october footage and and uh you're not gonna want to miss it though it'll have the story of the uh heartbreak buck from uh october and and uh everything with that but make sure you head over to firstgenhunter.com you can find that i also have another article i'm almost ready to release that'll be up on on the site and uh, of course you'll find uh, this episode there as well please uh check all these links out though get on to uh, uh wherever you can leave a review for our podcast we appreciate that thanks for subscribing thanks for tuning in and as always our dear friends take care and take someone hunting